0: Welcome to episode number 12 of the Anno Domini podcast, a podcast dedicated to the supremacy of Christ over all things, including our days, weeks, and months. Join me as we explore how Christ is revealed through the cyclical life of the church calendar year. We'll discover how this calendar once structured culture and how it can again. We'll also discuss practical ways to observe and celebrate these holy days in our quest to glorify God and live the good life in the midst of all the good He has given us. Well, folks, this is the day we've all been waiting for, the day when Christ, who came in the very flesh of man, yet was also fully God. Today is the day that we celebrate Him Conquering the grave, conquering death, rising from the tomb. Death could not hold him. Christ is risen. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, the day in which Christians everywhere can offer one another the following greeting, Christ is risen, and they can be certain to receive back the glorious reply, I know you guys have all just said it right in your head, He is risen indeed. Our faith rests upon the very real, historical, and literal resurrection of the body of Christ. As the Apostles' Creed so aptly puts it, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The resurrection is the axis on which the entirety of Christianity hangs. As Paul tells us, if Christ has not risen from the dead, then we, then we Christians, we ought to be more pitied than anyone else. We're nothing but delusional beings following nothing but a mirage if Christ has not risen. In other words, throw out the resurrection and you are left with an empty shell that is no more unique, no more redemptive, no more salvific than any other religion the deceived of this world have to offer. We need creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, because we are constantly being tempted to water down the potency of the gospel. The Apostles' Creed is a line in the sand stating, here is where the faith lives and dies. To compromise on anything in this creed is to compromise the gospel itself. That's what the Apostles' Creed does. And that's just one of many creeds that we hold dear. But more than creeds, We need a Savior to whom the creed really belongs. You see, having faith is nothing special. No matter what Oprah tells you, to have faith in things is not a virtue. Many people have incredible faith in a variety of things. There's nothing special about faith. No, it's not the amount of faith we have that matters. It is in whom we place our faith that makes the difference between right and wrong. It makes the difference between life and death. In whom we place our faith makes the difference between heaven and hell. If we have but the tiniest scrap of faith, say, faith the size of a mustard seed, faith that is nothing to brag about, but faith that is placed directly in the loving care of Christ, if we have that kind of faith, as tiny and puny of faith as it is, then we are promised there is nothing that cannot be done if we just have the smallest of faith in Christ. In fact, we're told that entire mountain ranges can be torn from their roots and drowned in the sea should God so desire. That is the God in whom we are placing this tiny bit of faith. And so, Christians... We have the best creeds because they are true. And they're not only beautiful and awe-inspiring. The Apostles' Creed is not only beautiful and awe-inspiring, but it barely, it barely begins to scratch the glory of the one to whom they are written about. The one to whom we can bring our tiny, scrappy, mustard-sized faith to. And no, it will be accepted. There are ten passages to be read on Easter. There's five passages on Easter morning, and there's a couple that you can choose one or the other. And then there's five for Easter day. Now, traditionally in the church we do sunrise services, which are wonderful uh, opportunities to get up early before the sun rises. And we've historically had a sunrise service at that time because that's the time that Jesus rose from the dead. So Christians get together in eager anticipation before it even gets light out to anticipate the resurrection, the coming of Jesus out of the tomb. And so we have readings for, for Easter morning and for Easter day. They're from Exodus. They're from Jeremiah. Uh, There's a couple from the Psalms, we have a reading from Acts, from 1 Corinthians, from Colossians, two gospel readings, one from Matthew, one from John, and rather than read one entire passage out loud, I thought it would be helpful to talk about the themes that show up in these different passages and highlight some of the parts of the passages that I think could be very encouraging on this resurrection morning. So the first one is from Exodus chapter 14, starting with verse 10, going all the way through chapter 14 and reading the very first verse of chapter 15. So uh, this details the story, this passage details the story of the Israelites being chased down by a madman. Pharaoh, the madman, uh, with a heart that had been hardened both by himself and by God, uh, Pharaoh and his armies are determined to bring the Israelites back to Egypt. Uh, they regretted ever letting them go, and they're determined to get it back. They haven't a- apparently they haven't had enough suffering yet, so uh, they want them back. And when the people of God saw the do- uh, saw the doom of the Egyptians coming down upon them, um, they saw uh, their own doom, I should say, of the Egyptians coming down upon them. Um, they bravely trusted in God's providence to provide for them a way of salvation. That's what they did. Actually, I'm just kidding. Uh, They started accusing Moses of trying to kill them and complaining about how they wished they were still slaves back in Egypt. Uh, Unfortunately, that response of trusting God to provide for them was not something that came uh, very naturally for them, and it certainly doesn't come very naturally for us. And so they start accusing Moses of trying to kill them, and they start saying it was better for us to be slaves in Egypt Um, So they are completely deceived right now, completely deceived. Their fear has deceived them. And Moses has some choice words for them. He tells them, he says, don't be afraid. Wait for the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. And then uh, the Lord actually tells Moses, uh, he uses a couple of phrases such as, when I have gained honor for myself over my enemies... Um, And then uh, Moses says in verse 1 of chapter 15, He has triumphed gloriously. He has become my salvation. In the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rode against you. Uh, Then he says later on in that, he says, You in your mercy have led for the people whom you have redeemed. And of course, he's speaking of his chosen people. Uh, He says, You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. All right, so... Um, this passage is all about the salvation of God's people from a prince of darkness. In this passage, of course, the prince of darkness is Pharaoh, and he's coming to, to destroy and capture God's people, but God fights for them and delivers them, and while they were still sinners, they wanted to still be slaves in Egypt, he still provided salvation for them. I think it's interesting, too, to note, notice here that there is little talk of personal choice in the description of their salvation. Um, not That's not to say that willing hearts are not expected by God. God expects us to have willing hearts, so it's not that personal choice has nothing to do with it, but God does not ask each Israelite if they would like to be saved or not. He doesn't give them options, He gives them the path to salvation. And in this case, that path is a long and scary walk through a dark ravine of water. And he expects them to follow him, because they simply have no other choice. If you, if you read in, in this passage of Exodus, he is talking about gaining honor. God is talking about gaining honor for himself, you know, bringing the Israelites, bringing his people out of this to, bring, to create a name for himself, to create honor for himself. And so we have a, a very stark parallel between the Old Testament salvation of the Israelites as they are coming through the Red Sea and God saving his people from a prince, Pharaoh, a prince of darkness, to to uh, Christ, when Jesus saved his people from the prince of darkness, Satan himself. And the one of the connections here is that just as Christ shed his blood for his people, in this passage, only those whom he has chosen will be saved. And this theme is repeated throughout Scripture, this theme of of the elect being saved is, is repeated throughout Scripture, and it's not repeated as a way of describing a limit to the scope of what Christ can accomplish through his salvation, but rather to enforce the efficacy of his salvation. So, the blood of Christ certainly has the potency to wash every sin away, but we know that it doesn't, and Christ did not shed his blood needlessly for a single sinner. Every sin that the death of Christ paid for always results in salvation. Christ, like Yahweh in the Old Testament, always saves his people. Another one of our lectionary readings here is from Psalm 16, which uh, part of it says, preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. My goodness is nothing apart from you. And so sorrow is associated with pursuing other gods in Psalm 16. And we often think that to follow Christ is to merely choose a life of saying no to the fun things in this life, uh, but this is profoundly wrongheaded. While Christ does promise us suffering in this life, when we follow him, we're guaranteed to get some form of suffering. He also promises us here in Psalm 16, which is one of our lectionary readings, this is written to us, that when we follow him, our hearts are glad. It says we are glad and that they can rest in hope. In fact, in Psalm 16, we are promised that in his presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So the theme here is about how God's children are saved By the victory of Christ. And this is really just a a very, very small overview of what uh, kind of depth and beauty can come from the lectionary readings. The lectionary readings, of course, group different passages uh, together. Um, And these different passages oftentimes share very stark and common themes. And so when we have 10 passages, which, of course, I'm not going to get to all 10. I've only done two here, uh, Exodus uh, uh, 14 and and Psalm 16. But there's one out of Acts, which would be wonderful. It it actually describes the salvation story in detail about how Jesus was um, crucified, dead, and was buried and rose again and appeared to 500 people. Um, There's, of course, the, the two gospel readings that describe the resurrection. There's the passages out of Corinthians where Paul actually describes the importance of the resurrection and how our hope lies in the resurrection of the body, not just in Christ's resurrected body, but in our resurrected body. We will one day rise again from the dead. And I think Christians oftentimes think, When we die, we go to heaven, and that's the end, but that is not the end at all. The end of all things is the resurrection of the body. We read read that in the Apostles' Creed at the beginning of, of the podcast episode here. It is vital that we don't lose sight of the fact that we will one day be resurrected, one of the themes we try to impress upon our kids whenever we get a chance is the theme of, is the truth, not just a theme, it's a, it's a, it's a very literal truth of resurrection. So whenever we go past a cemetery, we, we don't talk, talk about it as a cemetery. We say, hey look, that's a man garden. That is a garden where men and women and boys and girls have been planted and they are waiting for the resurrection. They will wait for the resurrection, and on that day of resurrection, they will be resurrected to life and glory or to judgment. That is the hope that fills Christians with our day to day walk. And if you go into a graveyard, you'll see uh, this may, you may have to find older graveyards to see this, but you'll see oftentimes the tombstones are facing east. And the reason for that is because every Christian that has been planted in that garden will one day rise up again, and when Jesus comes back, where does he come back from? He comes in the east, and so the dead are buried with their feet pointing east, because on that day of resurrection, when they are raised from the dead, they want the first thing they do is to stand up and see Jesus. Now, of course, That's symbolic. There's just symbolism there, but that symbolism is critical for us to remember because as we face death, as we face a life that is very mortal, James tells us our life is but a mist, we need to know that there is more to hope than just a time of paradise with Jesus. I'm, when when I die, I will go, I'm, I am promised in Scripture that I will go immediately to be with the Lord in paradise, and I am looking forward to that. That is great news. That is great comfort. But that is not the final resting place. The final resting place is when we are resurrected again. We are given a new body, and heaven and earth are united again. That new heavens and the new earth are united again, and Christ and the church are complete. Our hymn for this Resurrection Sunday is a Martin Luther hymn, because it should just be Martin Luther probably on Easter. I don't know why. It just needs to be Martin Luther. But this is a, uh, a wonderful song, and I did change the tune to it, um, but it's a, it's a song called Christ Jesus Lay in Death's Strong Bands. So let's read it, and then we will uh, discuss the rich theology found in this hymn. So verse 1. Christ Jesus lay in death's strong bands for our offenses given. But now at God's right hand he stands and brings us life from heaven. Therefore, let us joyful be and sing to God right thankfully loud songs of hallelujah, hallelujah. It was a strange and dreadful strife when life and death contended. The victory remained with life. The reign of death was ended. Holy Scripture Plainly saith that death is swallowed up by death, his sting is lost forever, hallelujah. Here the true paschal lamb we see, whom God so freely gave us. He died on the accursed tree, so strong his love to save us. See, his blood doth mark our door, faith points to it, death passes o'er, and Satan cannot harm us, hallelujah. So let us keep the festival whereto the Lord invites us. Christ is himself the joy of all, the sun that warms and lights us. By his grace he doth impart eternal sunshine to the heart. The night of sin is ended. Hallelujah. Then let us feast this joyful day on Christ, the bread of heaven. The word of grace hath purged away the old and evil leaven. Christ alone our souls will feed he is our meat and drink indeed faith lives upon no other hallelujah This is one of those hymns that is so rich with theological depth that really you can sing it over and over again and continually get new insights and encouragement Verse 1 says Jesus was dead in the strong bands of the grave that's how the song starts He was dead because our sins were laid on him that's why he was dead it was our fault but he's now at god's right hand and is bringing us life from heaven our response to this is joy and song verse 2 says when when christ or when life was fighting death uh, that the result, uh, or death was the result of sin, or it was maybe Christ was actually fighting Satan. But anyways, it says, um, it was a strange and dreadful strife when life and death contended. So you have life fighting death. Uh, and it was strange in that it had never happened like this before. And I think it was G.K. Chesterton which noticed that the gospel is the only truly new thing to ever have happened, uh, which is why it makes it such good news, because there really isn't any truly good news in terms of new things. There's nothing new under the sun. But when life and death were contending, that was a new thing. That was something that was happening in the apex of history. So of course the victory remained with Christ, and Satan was cast down like lightning, and the reign of death was finished. So scripture promised promises that death will be swallowed up by death or by victory, Uh, but, but Jesus will come to put to death death itself, and therefore death no longer has the sting it once had. It's all because of the resurrection. The Paschal Lamb means the Passover Lamb, a spotless, without blemish Lamb that God gave to his people. In the blood of this perfect Lamb, whose love for us was so strong that he was willing to die on the cursed tree, the cross, his blood now covers the doorposts of our heart. And faith points to the blood, so that just as in the first Passover, death will pass over us and not have victory over us in the end. And because of this shed blood, Satan cannot harm us, Christians, You are forever protected from the evil one by the work of the cross. Hallelujah. Verse 4 talks about the festival. It says, let us keep the festival. I believe he's describing the Lord's Supper. The Lord invites us to eat with him since we are his sons and daughters. Christ, who, just as Psalm 16 promised, is the joy of all, is also the sun which warms us and lights our way. Uh, And by the vastness of his kindness to us, we are promised, listen to this, eternal sunshine to the heart. I got to say, living in the Pacific Northwest, eternal sunshine in my heart is something, it's a promise I can get behind. But seriously, uh, Luther ends verse 4 by stating that because he has given us this salvation, this eternal sunshine to the heart, that um, the night of sin is ended. The night of sin is ended. It's over. Verse 5, again, I believe Luther is describing the Lord's Supper. He said, let us feast this joyful day. Uh, He describes Christ as the bread of heaven, and that the teaching of Christ, the the word of Christ, um, the word of grace have pushed away all of the old and evil leaven. Kind of that old and evil leaven, I think, refers to um, the the idea that uh, there's false teaching and wickedness in us and that leaven sometimes represents the gospel sometimes represents false teaching and in this case the leaven is being used to represent uh, wickedness so then we are then told that, that only Christ can truly feed our souls and that he is our meat and our drink in in other words he is our entire portion and faith lives not on bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of god well i hope you all have a very very happy easter hope you eat lots of good food and spend time in whatever way you can in the world that we live in right now with family whether that's virtually with family or just in prayer or just in spirit i am planning on being back with another episode on may 21st right now we are going to go into what's known as uh, kind of a little bit of ordinary time. It's going to be the second Sunday after Easter, the third Sunday after after Easter, the fourth Sunday of Easter, the fifth Sunday of Easter, sixth Sunday of Easter, and then on May 21st is the Ascension of our Lord, Ascension Sunday. That's on May 21st. We'll have an episode that day, and then on May 31st is a very, very big celebration that's coming up on that day. That's Pentecost. And then after Pentecost, We'll have Trinity Sunday, which is the next week after that. I believe I will be doing a podcast on that day as well. So we should have kind of uh, three fairly close together: May twenty-first, May thirty-first, and then June seventh. And then we won't have another podcast because we'll be will be smack dab into ordinary time. Truly, truly ordinary times. Uh, there's about sixteen. Actually, there's twenty Sundays of after Pentecost, and then on October twenty-fifth is uh, Reformation Day. Well, Excuse me, October 31st is actually Reformation Day. It's uh, right before All Saints Day, and so the next one we'll have will be All Saints Day, Um, and then we'll be back at the beginning again of Advent. So I really look, if I'm looking through this here, I've got one I've got two, three, and four more podcasts with you. This is the 12th one, so we'll end up with 16 podcasts altogether. And with that, I would like to give you the song, Christ Jesus Lay in Death's Strong Bands, with a new melody to it. Happy Easter, everybody, and we'll see you on Ascension Sunday.
1: from heaven, therefore let us joyful be, and sing to God right thankfully, loud songs of A plainly say that death is swallowed up by death, his sting is lost forever. It's joy.